Over the last couple weeks, it felt like anything could happen in the Republican primaries in Colorado. There was a ton of dark money flying around, there was no public polling, so we had no clue what was really happening between the candidates. There were some somewhat unusual patterns in the turnout data, and basically people in the political world, no matter who they were rooting for, seemed pretty nervous. It makes it really hard to predict what's going on because these are, you know, open races with candidates that are not well defined. But within a few minutes after polls closed at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, it was pretty much already over. That is the sound, essentially, of the Republican establishment starting the victory party. In this case, it was specifically at the Joe O'Day for Senate celebration. The moderate, centrist candidates swept all of the GOP statewide primaries, and Colorado's most prominent election deniers were defeated. To hear some people put it, maybe a little dramatically, it was the beginning of a new chapter of Colorado politics. It is the dawn of a new day in the Colorado GOP. We are serious about winning. We have nominated candidates who resonate with Colorado. I haven't been this excited to be a Republican uh, in almost a decade. That was GOP State Representative Colin Larson basking in the results in the U.S. Senate, Governor, and Secretary of State primaries. So now we're going to dig in a little more. Why did these results give Republican power players so much hope? And is that going to last all the way through the general election in November? This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and right now, elections. I'm Andrew Kenny here with my colleague, Benta Berkland. Hey, Andy, we are taping this on Wednesday at lunchtime. Yes, indeed, lunch is cold pizza and cold caffeine. We're going to talk today about how, at the statewide level, some of the most moderate Republicans were triumphant, whether this opens opportunities for the party to actually regain some degree of power in Colorado, and also some of the really interesting theories about why exactly what happened happened. But how are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, it's it kind of when we have these election nights, it goes back to when we're in the legislative session because we're up late and up early. Yes, and the bizarre minutia of the politics world suddenly seems very important. Everybody wants to talk about it. An interesting time. So you and I were both on Tuesday night at primary watch parties, very different primary watch parties. You were mostly at one for Tina Peters, the candidate for Secretary of State, and I'm dying to hear more about that. But first, let's keep going with the party I was at, again for Joe O'Day, who won the nomination for U.S. Senate. What a moment, what a team, and what a victory. I mean, come on, they call it Winning that made him the top of the ticket candidate for Republicans. It's kind of the biggest race that'll have the most attention going into November, the one with the most money, and I heard one political consultant actually describing himself already as an O'Day Republican, kind of like this mm. Joe O'Day guy is the new masthead of the Republican Party in this state. Well, that would definitely be a shift for the Republican Party in Colorado, because for the last few years, the most prominent member of the party has been Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Mm -hmm. And O'Day is selling himself as a moderate and trying to focus on economics and crime, not social issues. And he also has a big change in tone from Boebert. Yeah, he plays as much more moderate than a lot of other candidates. Um, and in his speech, his victory speech, he really sold himself as not an ideologue, not a Trump guy, he didn't mention Trump, but as this kind of unique flavor of Colorado independent Republican. 
I'll be more like a Republican Joe Manchin. I'll vote my conscience. I'll make tough choices. I will ruffle feathers. So this is basically the candidate, Joe O'Day, that a lot of Democrats and Republicans feel has the best chance of knocking off an incumbent. He'll be going up against Senator Michael Bennett and maybe delivering that new day that we just heard about for Colorado conservatives. And we certainly saw that O'Day was not the candidate Democrats wanted to go up against because in the primary, Democratic groups spent a lot of money trying to defeat O'Day, trying to boost his primary opponent, Ron mm-hmm. Hanks. So Democrats clearly feel that O'Day is going to be tougher to defeat in the general election. Yeah, a basic political wisdom that the more moderate candidate will pick up more supporters, especially in a blue and moderate state. And by the way, that spending from the outside groups, Joe O'Day picked that up and ran with that in his speech. It is a fantastic night to be an American here in Colorado. Not such a good night to be a Democratic super PAC. He basically portrayed it as if he had not beaten Ron Hanks, his opponent. He had beaten Chuck Schumer, the Mm. Democratic leader. You know what that scoreboard says tonight? This is Joe Day one, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, Michael Bennett, zero. So what did you think of his speech overall? Well, first of all, he was giving this speech at Mile High Station, which is this event center in Denver that he actually owns. He made his personal fortune before that, though, in a construction business. And he talked a lot in his speech about being a carpenter and a contractor and an everyday Joe who's going to go take it to Michael Bennett. And yeah, when I was watching him, I wasn't sure what to expect. He was pretty quiet at the party beforehand, just kind of watching his family members speak to introduce him. But once he got up there, he kind of gave a a ripping speech. Like he he was uh, quite confident and he spoke in a way that I don't know. I personally think he's going to be able to do pretty well on the campaign trail. People are going to enjoy hearing from him, even if they don't agree with his policies necessarily. So you had mentioned at this O'Day watch party that A lot of people who were part of the Republican establishment were there. Mm -hmm. So is that like people we would know from the state capitol or who who was part of this crowd? Yeah, that's kind of an insidery term, but it's basically it's the people who who run the Republican Party, the ones who are still in charge of it, but for years have been kind of besieged by the right wing. Uh, People like House Minority Leader Hugh McKean, who, um, you know, has to keep all the Republicans in line in the legislature and is always getting attacked from the guys on his right. And for him... This was a big day. Like, uh, by the way, he had just beaten back his own primary challenger from the right, and he was he was quite happy for the establishment, the moderate Republicans, whatever you want to call them, to have retained control of the party. I actually think that this is the Republican Party voters have been waiting for. This is the Republican Party that is talking about the things that matter to families. What's the cost of living? Can they afford to keep putting gas in their car to get to work? These were critical races for Republicans because we've talked a lot about how the party's chances in November really come down to who wins these primaries. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to have success up and down the ballot, they need candidates that people think have the best shot to win in a state with lots of unaffiliated voters. Yeah, and that was the question that they were basically putting before their party base. They're saying, do you all want to go for ideologues, far-right candidates who are going to toe all the party lines, or do you want to go for somebody who's more electable, who's going to be more appealing? And from what we saw, we'll get into why the idea that you should elect more competitive, more electable candidates is the one that succeeded 
in this Republican primary. Yeah, and so I actually talked to two women who perfectly encapsulate that philosophy, I guess. They mm-hmm. were at the watch party for Heidi Ganahl, who is the nominee for governor. I'm backing her because she has what it takes to win. And these women actually voted for all of the winning statewide candidates, hmm. you know, the candidates that were more moderate. They so. scored bingo. Yeah, exactly. Ganahl, O'Day. And they said even though they don't agree with all of their positions. I think that he uh, could win easier over the Democratic candidate, and then we can work on baby steps, like I was just telling you, baby steps. Then we work on on gaining more traction with some of the things that he disagrees with um, after the fact. So what's like an example of where they split with the candidates? Abortion. The, the women I talked to are more conservative on abortion than O'Day. Uh-huh. And I'd covered the question of whether O'Day's willingness to keep abortion legal in the early stages of pregnancy would impact the outcome for voters who don't support abortion access. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the women I talked to, it didn't impact their vote. They, they still said they wanted O'Day elected. And then we work on gaining more traction with some of the things that he disagrees with after the fact. And the women said, look, they just want candidates who would listen, be moderate, and help Republicans make gains this fall. So electability was the key factor for these voters. Well, it sounds like those voters heard the establishment message loud and clear, which is basically 2022, huge opportunity for Republicans. Let's not blow it on people who can't get elected. Anyway, those women you mentioned were at the Heidi Canal party. Funny thing is that you were there at that party because it was also in the same saloon as the Tina Peters party. Yep. It was a place called the Wide Open Saloon in Sedalia. Mm-hmm. And this is in Douglas County in the southern part of the Denver metro area. And these parties for Ganahl and Peters were very separate. Hmm. So Peters was on the rooftop and Ganahl's party was inside the restaurant. You, and you didn't even have to go through Ganahl's watch party to get to Peters. You know, they were just different entrances. It's funny. So they were in the same place, but they're really not allies. And, you know, actually, Ganahl has tried to stay far, far away from election deniers and election conspiracy theories. She's really tried to avoid commenting at all on that Mm -hmm. stuff one way or the other, whereas Tina Peters is, of course, one of the most prominent election deniers in the state. Mm -hmm. And yet, by this trick of fate, she ends up at the very same venue as, again, the most prominent election denier, perhaps, in the state. Right. So... Weird party. Must have been a a big restaurant, I guess. What was Tina Peters' party like? Well, she was on the rooftop, and it was pleasant because it was very nice weather Tuesday night and a great view of the foothills, so pretty relaxed. Yes, that was nice. Peters is is well-known as the county clerk who was under indictment for allegedly breaching the security of her own election machines Mm -hmm. when she was trying to uncover fraud. Mm -hmm. And I think there were about 30 people or so, and one was pretty recognizable if you cover election conspiracy theories. And it was, yes, exactly. So I I spotted him right away, Joe Oltman. Hmm. He's a conservative podcaster. He lives in Douglas County Hmm. and he started the false theory that's gained a lot of traction, that Dominion voting machines switched votes in the 2020 presidential election. Uh So part of that election denying network that Tina Peters is in. Yes, he's actually being sued right now uh, for defamation Mm -hmm. over that allegation. Another person who was there who I've covered quite a bit is Sharona Bishop. She's an ally of Peters and she lives in Garfield County. And Bishop was actually Boebert's former campaign manager. Well, Lauren Boebert's former campaign manager. Uh, So this was kind of far right headquarters for a Tuesday night. 
Yeah, there were you know, definitely well-known people in that world who backed Peters. And I was there pretty early in the evening before we were seeing any results. <laughs> and I got a chance to talk to Peters. What God calls you to, he'll see you through. And this is not my battle. From the very beginning, when I ran for office, I did it to serve the people. And I want the people to want me. And I was just trying to get a sense of how she was feeling going into the evening. People that stuck with me in the very beginning with all this election, the election irregularities, and listened to the truth, they're still with me. And I, and I can't let them down. So if for some reason the people decide, or if there's election irregularities, um, if for some reason I don't win today, we're going to win as a country because all of, this has ignited people all across the country, all across the U.S. Well, as it turned out, the results were not really close. Peters lost. She came in third. Uh, the winner was Pam Anderson, a very moderate candidate for the Secretary of State office who doesn't buy into the election, denying stuff at all. Uh, in second place was a fairly low-profile candidate named Mike O'Donnell. So what happened? That was uh, We thought that one might be a little closer, I thought. Clearly, a lot of Colorado voters are not comfortable nominating someone to run Colorado's elections who is facing state charges, and there's an ongoing federal investigation. What I'm puzzling over is this Mike O'Donnell guy. Mm -hmm. He won basically just a little bit more than Tina Peters did. If you combined him and Tina Peters, they had a majority of the votes. But, like, what is his deal? He's like this political newcomer. He has cast some doubts on the 2020 election, unlike Pam Anderson, who won. The people who voted for him, what, what could they have been thinking? Maybe, like, they lean toward Tina Peters-style stuff, but they just couldn't go for someone who's literally under indictment? Or what was it? You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it probably is a mix. O'Donnell definitely tried to be the candidate running to the middle of both Anderson and Peters. Mm -hmm. He said there were election irregularities, but he never said one way or the other whether 2020 was stolen. So he's, he was focused a lot on voter rolls, cleaning up the voter rolls, being nonpartisan if he's elected. He said he didn't want to relitigate the past. So I could actually see him drawing votes from both Anderson and Peters, but mm -hmm. I think it would have been undoubtedly a very different race had it just been between Anderson and Peters. You know, a three-way yeah. race changed it a lot. For sure. And it points to the fact that, you know, we're kind of trying to interpret and parse a very complicated thing that hundreds of thousands of people participated in. And it may come out later that there was different motivation. So mm -hmm. disclaimer, we're not omniscient. But the final result was Peters losing. Did, did she accept that? Did she, she concede? She, she didn't. She told attendees that she didn't lose that the race just uncovered more fraud and she's not giving up and she'll have more information later. So the candidate who's consistently denied the results of election has denied that she lost her election, which is really not surprising. So let's zoom out of the individual races here. I think despite my caveat earlier about the fact that there, there's some interpretation going on here. We can't say for certain what happened. It is fair to say that the GOP primaries at the statewide level, the farthest right candidates on abortion, on election denial, on a number of issues, lost. And the top of the ticket has one of the most moderate sounding Republicans that we've seen in the state in a while, Joe O'Day, leading the party, basically. And it's interesting because it wasn't just in those high profile races. Hmm. 
Uh, we saw a similar pattern down ballot as well. For instance, in the clerk and recorder primary in Mesa County, a career professional won that GOP primary race. Because that's a Republican county, that woman will likely be the next clerk and recorder in Mesa County, replacing Tina Peters. Uh. And then there was a coroner's race in El Paso County, uh. where a woman who called herself a, quote, freedom doctor was defeated. Freedom and also in El Paso County, the clerk and recorder who has come under fire for defending the state's election system. He come was under fire from far right. From the yes, from from far right conservatives, he was running for county treasurer, and he handily won his primary. Hmm. All right. So in a lot of those down ballot races as well, GOP voters seem to avoid the farther right candidates. Now, before we go. I wanted to make a really important point, because I think listening to this, it'd be easy to assume that this means Republican voters as a whole have repudiated the far right. They all decided, Mm -hmm. "Ah, you know what, I'm going to go this direction now. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. The thing is that, as we talked about last episode, there were tons of new unaffiliated voters involved in this. That's Um, right. You know, record number, actually, for the Republican primary, making up maybe 30% of the electorate a lot more than they have in the past. And those voters likely leaned moderate or even liberal. And we heard from tons of them who said that they intentionally supported the moderate Republicans, that they wanted to to kind of send the Republican Party a little bit back towards center. And you know what? Joe O'Day, the Senate nominee, actually gladly accepted that help in his own speech. Colorado wants its leaders to be independent. Michael Bennett is not independent. I am. And that's why tonight, when they counted the votes, independents showed up. They voted for me in this primary, and we're going to work hard to keep them in our coalition this fall. There's a little bit of irony here, because as we talked about in our last episode of Uh Purplish, about unaffiliated voters and their impact, there are lots of people in the GOP, and there were at the time when unaffiliated voters got included in mm-hmm. primaries, they didn't want unaffiliated voters to participate. Mm-hmm. But it definitely looks like in these races this cycle, mm-hmm. it really helped the Republican establishment get the candidates they wanted. And theoretically have a better chance in November. And so the people who helped to create this new open primary system, who argued it would be a way to result in more moderate state politics, they're pretty happy. This is the first year that it's really delivered quite like this on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, former Republican Governor Bill Owens was one of them. I called him after 9 p.m. on Tuesday night to ask him how he was feeling, and he was quite happy. You know, I was, along with a lot of other people, one of those who helped allow unaffiliateds to vote in the two primaries. Because I thought they could be moderating influences, both in the Democratic primary to keep it from being too leftist. And within my own party's primary, where I'm a conservative, but sometimes we've nominated folks who simply can't win. And I think that the unaffiliateds performed that role this evening. At this point, we should mention Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Mm -hmm. She was challenged by a moderate state senator, Don Coram, And she defeated him by a wide margin. Yeah, that's true. That is a counterexample to the idea that, oh, all the moderates won. Uh, There are some other factors there. She was the incumbent. She had a crazy, gigantic financial advantage, tons and tons of money, big national profile. 
she represents a very Republican district, so it's not like there were maybe as many uh, moderate voters to, to mm-hmm. come in there. Uh, it was a different dynamic, I think. I think that's exactly right. And compared to all of the other statewide races where moderates did win, mm-hmm. Bobert has a well-known brand name ID. Mm-hmm. And I think that can also make a big difference in the outcome. Yeah, she was much better defined than any of the other candidates in any of these races. So it was going to be an uphill battle to ever defeat her, even if there was a ton of unaffiliated voters getting involved. And it just didn't happen for Don Gorham. Now, my question going forward is, uh, all these moderate unaffiliated voters who people are thinking really reshaped this Republican primary, are they going to show up for Republicans in the general election too? I guess that's what we'll be covering the next few months. I don't know, but Uh I I definitely think because the more moderate candidates succeeded on primary night, Uh Democrats will now have a tougher challenge because they'll have to run against Republicans who don't say 2020 was a stolen election, who don't hold absolutist anti-abortion views. Although they're still farther right than Democrats on it. Exactly. I mean, there's going to be clear policy difference for Colorado voters. So I think it'll be fun to cover all these races. One other thing that this year will not have is as much Donald Trump. You know, Democrats in their big, big successful years in 18 and 20 here were able to run against him. Trump will still kind of be on the ballot in the background, you know, with the ongoing hearings we have now about January 6th and stuff. But uh, these Republicans are trying to move on from Trump pretty quick because they know he's a liability in this state. We're heading into a year that everyone I think we talked to from the right and the left says this is expected to be a red wave, a good year for Republicans Mm -hmm. with gas prices and inflation and and everything else that's going on. So I'll be curious to see what Colorado is going to look like because we've been a very blue state in recent years. So are we more purplish or what are the gains we see Republicans able to make? Yeah, let me close with this. I think a lot of people have, we've said this, made fun of the name of the show, purplish, like, oh, it's blue now, and been convinced that there's no way for a Republican Party to come back. And I think a lot of folks on the Democratic side, after this Tuesday primary, are are stopping and checking themselves and saying, well, how blue are we? That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Benta Berkland. Purplish was produced and edited this week by Megan Verlee. We'll be back in your podcast feeds as we get closer to the general election, so keep an ear out. This is Purplish from CPR News.